A reading from Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1 through 9. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you that have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which is, does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen so that you may live. I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. See, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. See, you shall call nations that you do not know, and nations that do not know you shall run to, because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their way and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them return to the Lord, that he may have mercy on them, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Paul is preaching, writing to a church in crisis. The fledgling Corinthian congregation is riven with conflict, beset by all manner of waywardness. And in this portion of his letter to them, he is a master of indirection. He writes about the children of Israel in their desert wanderings through the Sinai. But he is talking about them and ultimately about us. Let us listen now for the word of God. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. They drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, and they were struck down in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples for us, so that we might not desire evil as they did. Don't become idolaters as some of them did. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. We must not indulge in immorality, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. And we must not put the Lord to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents. And don't complain, as some of them did, and as, as it, and. <clears throat> 
These things happened to them to serve as an example, and they were written down to instruct us on whom the ends of the ages have come. So if you think you are standing, watch out that you do not fall. No testing has overtaken you that is not common to everyone. God is faithful, and he will let, not let you be tested beyond your strength. But with the testing, he will also provide a way out so that you may be able to endure it. The word of our Lord. I was down in Mandarin last week, and I had some extra time, so I thought I'd go in Barnes & Noble. Haven't been in a bookstore in three or four years. I've gotten so dependent on Amazon. I've gotten, so I thought I was a little curious to see what has changed, what was new. And I walked around the store, noticed some of the sections had been rearranged. Of course, new books were on display. But one thing was the same as I remember it four years ago. The biggest section in the store is self-help. The only difference is they moved it from the back to the front. Self-help. Seems like there's always some kind of discontent in us, some desire to be better, to be more, to be more who God created us to be. Norman Vincent Peale perhaps the founder of the whole self-help movement, wrote in his book, The Power of Positive Thinking. He introduced the book by saying, you've bought this book, you want to change, and that's good. And then he goes on to give us specific ways to change in each chapter. The first one he says, get up early every morning, sit in a rocking chair for 15 minutes and think positive thoughts. And then the next chapter, he advises that if you really want to be a better person, make a list every morning of the good things you want to accomplish that day and carry that list in your pocket. And then the next chapter, put aside time each day to write a letter to one person who has affected you in a positive way. And then volunteer two hours per week and one positive book, read one positive book a month and have three conversations a day with positive people. And by the time you get to the end of the book, you're so overwhelmed with all the things you have to do to be better, you just decide to stay the same. <laughs> How long did you keep your New Year's resolutions? Or do you even make New Year's resolutions? Change is hard. Change is hard. We are creatures of habit. We like things to be consistent, to be conventional and predictable. I know a pastoral counselor who's been practicing counseling for over 30 years. I asked him one time, what's the main thing he's learned through all those years of practice? And he didn't hesitate. He said, people almost never, ever change. Remember the old TV evangelist, Jimmy Swaggart? Well, years ago, Jimmy Swaggart got in trouble in some sex scandal, and he goes on TV the next week, tears streaming down his face, and he says, you're not looking at the old Jimmy Swaggart. And then a few months later, he got in trouble again, and we realized we were looking at the old Jimmy Swaggart. <laughs> Hard to change. We just don't change easily. And so the writer of Ecclesiastes says, there's nothing really new under the sun. When it comes to us, it's the same old thing over and over again. But then there's the other side of it too. 
It's kind of summarized in the old beer commercial. The guy takes a swig of beer, looks at the camera and says, ah, it doesn't get any better than this. It doesn't? Really? We want it to be better than this. We want to have the sense that God has created us to be more than this. So how is it that if it's so difficult to change, how is it possible to be more of who God wants us to be? Well, as Jesus said to the rich young man who came to him, what is impossible for mortals is possible for God. I don't know about this self-help, self-improvement, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. It works for some people, even lasts for some people, but for most of us, to be the people we want to be, the people we are called to be, we need something more. We need help, and that help comes from God. Paul, as I said earlier, is writing to a struggling group of Christians in the city of Corinth. Corinth then, a lot like Jacksonville now, a port city, plenty of entertainment going on, good food, good drink, lots of temptations. Paul names four. Idolatry, immorality, testing God, and complaining. Now, idolatry is not a word we use in everyday conversation, but what it basically means is that we put our loyalty, our faith, in some power other than God. And why do we do that? Because we think it's powerful. We think it will do for us what we want done. In J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings, there is this magical ring that makes the wearer invisible. And that comes in very handy for Frodo and Bilbo Baggins as they're trying to escape these creatures that are attacking them on the way to destroy Mount Doom. The ring itself is not bad. In fact, it can be very useful. But as Tolkien says, it has a claiming power over the wearer. He writes, the more one uses the ring to become invisible, the more even for good purposes, the more the ring possesses that person. At first they merely desire it, and then they want it, and then they have to have it. The ring consumes the wearer until it gets to the point the wearer is thwarted from the very mission they're trying to accomplish. That's idolatry. That's putting our faith in a power other than God. The power itself, whether it be weapons or politics or money, weakens us. The power weakens us, whereas if we rely on the power of God, it strengthens us. Earlier in his letter to the Corinthians, Paul writes, Christ will strengthen you to the end. And immorality. The thing about immorality is it makes us feel so good while we're doing it. Our minds are endlessly creative in justifying our behaviors because those behaviors make us feel good while we're doing them. 
And it seems the Internet has become a vehicle, a medium for so much immorality in our world today, fraud, sex trafficking, conspiracy theories, hate groups. They all find a platform there. But the Internet itself is not bad. It's not evil. It's just a vehicle. It's just a medium. It's how we use it. I read this past week that on Airbnb.com, 430,000 nights have been booked into homes in Ukraine. 430,000 nights booked in Ukraine by people who have no intention of ever using them. But they're using that website as a platform to funnel money to these people who so desperately need it. And over $17 million has gone to them so far. And on their sister website, their nonprofit, Airbnb.org, 36,000 people from 160 countries have registered on that website as being willing to welcome Ukrainian refugees into their home. Paul says, God is faithful. God is faithful, and with the testing, he will also provide a way out so that you may be able to endure it. And it is in situations like that where we are prone to want to test God. In situations of need, we tend to test God with if-then prayers. Oh, if you will heal me from this, then I will... If you will just bring her back, then I'll... If you'll let me win the lottery, I'll tithe 10% of the church. Testing God puts conditions on God. Testing God is wanting God to do our will rather than trusting in him to do his will. And these are not uncommon things. Paul reminds us that, that no testing, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to everyone. God is faithful and he will not let you be tested beyond your strength. Do you hear how he holds those two opposites together? Temptation has overtaken you. God is faithful. And finally, Paul comes to complaining. Now, who would ever imagine there'd be a problem with complaining among good church people? But what's wrong with complaining anyway? I feel better when I complain. I get my views across. The thing about complaining is that it's usually more about the complainer than it is about the complaint. Complaining tends to weaken the fabric of a community. Just a nick here and a little snag there and a rip over here and pretty soon the whole thing just starts to unravel. A recent Barna poll showed that 52% of mainline pastors have considered leaving the ministry in the past year. Gotten worse during the pandemic, but that's always been there. You know why that is? Usually not because of any one big thing, not some big fight or conflict or something like that. They think about leaving the ministry because they're getting pecked to death. 
a little nip here, a little criticism there, a little snide remark as they leave the building. Well, I wish you would just... I don't like it when you... I wish somebody would do something about... Peck, peck, peck. Until pretty soon, the person's zeal for ministry is just killed off. There was an elderly carpenter who was getting ready to retire. And he went to the contractor he'd worked for for many years, told him about what he wanted to do, his plans. The contractor didn't want him to see him go because he was very, very skilled at his work, but he understood he wanted to spend more time with his family and have more leisure. And the contractor asked him to one more favor. Would you just build this one more house before you go? Well, he didn't want to. Had a bad attitude about the whole thing. His workmanship wasn't up to par. He used shoddy materials in places and complained the whole time. Contractor came for the final inspection, went through the house, and then handed the keys to the carpenter. He said, this is your house, my retirement gift to you. Oh, if he'd only known. If he'd only known, he would have done things so differently. How are you building your house? We build our houses with our actions every day. But we don't build them alone. We have help. And God is faithful. And God will see us through to the end. And so guide us, O thou great Jehovah, pilgrims through this promised land. We are weak, but thou art mighty. Hold us with thy powerful hand. Hold us with thy powerful hand.